Welcome to Remotely Possible, a podcast about the people shaping the future of work. My name's Adam Riggs, and I'm the CEO of Frameable, a software company that's improving distributed work for Microsoft Teams and Outlook users. We're always looking for leaders, technology innovators, and software partners who might be a good fit as a guest on the podcast. If you have a story to share about creating and maintaining a highly collaborative environment for either hybrid or fully remote teams, we'll share details at the end of each episode of this podcast so you'll know how to get in touch with us. And now, let's dive into our conversation about how real people are making the future of work more successful. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Remotely Possible. Today, we're speaking with Kate Parker. Kate is the Senior Vice President of Higher Education Content Services at LearningMate. LearningMate is one of the world's largest edtech service providers, delivering both content services and technology services, and they are completely focused on education. They've been around for more than 20 years, and Kate has been there since 2016. Welcome, Kate. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, So please take a moment just to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a bit about your background. Thanks. So um, as Adam said, I'm Kate Parker. I'm the head of content services for higher education at LearningMate. So I lead the teams that uh, deliver the instructional design and graphic design and editorial services to our clients. So we work with publishers and higher education institutions and corporations in their developing and building out their learning. Um, I've been there uh, for some time, and before joining, joining LearningMate, I was uh, in publishing, in higher education publishing, for about 20 years. So constant, constantly focused on content development and people learning stuff. So excited to be here today and talk with all of you. Excellent, excellent. Kate, why don't we start off with um, you painting a bit of a picture um, of LearningMate, just in terms of um, the physical location of the of the colleagues and the offices, et cetera. Is, is LearningMate a fully remote company right now, or uh, is it a hybrid uh, approach that you're embracing right now? And uh, just generally share uh, something about where people are located and where their colleagues are located and how they're doing uh, work together right now. Sure, that's a great question. So LearningMate's a global company. Um, We've got a small presence in the United States. So I run a team here of about 10 folks who are spread across the country. Um, And uh, that team has been fully remote from the beginning. Um, So throughout the last uh, several years, it's consistently been remote. Um, We have a team, the the headquarters for LearningMate is in Mumbai, and we also have a large office in Kolkata and another office now in Delhi as well. Um, The teams in Mumbai and Kolkata and Delhi um, have gone through some changes over the last few years, and I'm sure we'll probably dig into that with the pandemic and whatnot. Um, there are about the vast majority of our employees are based in India. So there are, I think, like 1,700 people in India and all in about another 250 folks here in the U.S. Um, So I work directly with uh, about um, 150 or 200 folks in India um, that also work on content and higher education. Got it. Uh, So when you think about, you know, your career, at LearningMate lines up with what we think of as the sort of the three 
parts of the modern era here in terms of work in that you have, you know, 2016 to 2019, the the most recent years uh, before the pandemic, then 2020 to 2023, uh, you know, the the period of the the medical emergency of the COVID pandemic. And now um, 2024, you know, 2023, 2024 and forward is sort of this new era. So tell us about how your day-to-day has changed. I know your positions have changed and evolved over time, but tell us about how the the work has unfolded. Um, how does the work unfold differently now than the way it did in the pre-pandemic era? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, when the pandemic hit, uh, the teams that were most affected were those in India for many different reasons. Uh, but what was really extraordinary was the extent to which the company went from fully in person to fully remote within the course of about a week and a half, like packing up all of the equipment and getting making sure people had Wi-Fi at their homes so that they would be able uh, to do their work from a remote environment. It was like a really, really fast pivot. Um, and obviously that, you know, we all lived through some really traumatic stuff during that period. And there was a lot of illness. There was a lot of quarantining going on. Um, but LearningMate did a tremendous job of really keeping the lights on, making sure our clients were supported throughout that time in spite of, you know, all of the challenges. And that really is, was a testament to like the organizational, um, ability of the company to sort of mobilize at that extent and the flexibility and willingness of the team to sort of embrace this new situation. Um, a lot of our colleagues live in multi-generational homes, for example. And so, you know, even just figuring out like, okay, I'm working from home. What does that even mean? Like, where do I sit? Um, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there was a lot of transition um, there. Now that we're, we've moved, um, past the the immediate needs for people to be at home all the time, there's a shift back to office and there's sort of mandates in terms of like how many days a week folks are going to be in the office. Um, it's been challenging and I think readjusting is is taking uh, it's taking some doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For, for you personally, you said you've been working remotely the whole time. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So for for you, um, for your home office setup, how is it different now than it was uh, uh, during the pandemic, if it is? And and how is it different now than it was, you know, say in 2019? Anything uh, noteworthy and new in terms of uh, equipment or the layout of your desk? You know, what, what kind of setup do you have and what have you added recently maybe is another way to ask the same. I think not that much has changed for me except for like the kinds of books I have. So I've, I've added a lot of sort of um, conceptual tools to my, to my um, toolkit in terms of like new strategies for working collaboratively and how to, how to um, support the team. Um, I think more than just like a physical setup, um, the transitions have been around kind of like timing of meetings and so forth, because, um, you know, during the pandemic, there was sort of an expectation that given that people had the flexibility to work from home, uh, meetings could kind of happen whenever, uh, which mm-hmm. led to a lot of burnout for a lot of people, obviously. Um, I think there's been sort of a shift back to 
you know, real cl- trying to observe more uh, specific work hours for teams. So, mm-hmm. so I think that sort of the changes for me have been more around schedule and particularly around sort of uh, attention to global calendars and really trying to be more intentional about when we need to meet, why we're meeting and, and uh, organizing the meeting so that they're really productive for everybody who's there. Mm-hmm. Is, is another way to say that, that um, during the pandemic, uh, there was a, a more of a tolerance for um, synchronous there was more of an appetite for synchronous work whenever it needed to happen. And now you are returning to um, a more deliberate and possibly more asynchronous, uh, um, you know, style with the colleagues that are overseas because because India, India and the United States have something like a nine and a half hour difference. So that, that is real, really a challenging um, difference there. Yeah, I think that 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 is a fair way to characterize it. And I and I think part of it just also just is a practical matter. Like I was just talking to a colleague of mine who's based in Delhi the other day, and she was saying that, well, no, we can't have that meeting at this time on Friday because I'm going to be commuting and I can't take that call from my car, which like wasn't a thing a few years ago when everyone was, um, you know, working from home. Right. Right. Um, So let's talk about human connection and how you establish and maintain human connection with the remote team that you're, you know, that you're charged with collaborating with every day. What are, how do you approach this project of establishing human connection, you know, meaningful connections with people? Uh, They may be new or you may just be tackling a new project. Um, How is that different when you're doing it remotely uh, versus face-to-face? I think um, there's always a need to establish a, a personal connection with people uh, so that they feel like it's that they so that they really don't feel isolated, I guess, um, and that they feel like they can truly contribute. And I think f- from my point of view, that really starts with empathy and trying to, you know, determine what, how best to sort of share personal stuff with all sorts of people all over the place um, and how to encourage them to share. So um, part of that is, you know, having time, making space for meetings that, or time in meetings for sharing personal stuff. One of the great things that our um, India-based colleagues often do is, you know, there there are a lot of holidays, for instance, that are not necessarily familiar uh, to folks in the U.S. that that are celebrated, and those vary sort of by state in India sometimes. Um, and so they'll often bring at the beginning of any meeting, even with a client, they'll bring like pictures of like, oh, this is what this is how we celebrate Diwali and this is what it looks like in my house. So there's sort of like a, there's a desire to share that uh, personal uh, experience and sort of give a sense of beyond just the work that we may be engaged in together. What is it? So one of the things that I did uh, on my uh, most recent trip to Mumbai was um, I was going around Christmas time. And so I went to Target and I got a bunch of little um, gingerbread house boxes to kit, kit, sorry, gingerbread kits 
mm-hmm. gingerbread house kits. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I brought them and we I organized a, like a design challenge where there were a bunch of tables and like everybody had to figure out what are these things supposed to look like and how, you know, this gingerbread houses aren't really a thing in India. So what are these? What do they look like? How do we decorate them? And like having a sort of having them have an opportunity to immerse themselves in a holiday tradition that we celebrate. So it was kind of a, it was people were really, really excited to um, sort of get it the other way around because I think Mm -hmm. we, we often learn new things from them, but it was sort of fun to share something that was uh, a um, sort of cultural thing from Mm -hmm. the U S I totally agree. And your answer reminds me of um, um, the different approaches that people can take to offsites. Uh, maybe we can transition to to um, offsites uh, for a moment. Like, uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, many people, many teams now are making an effort to spend time together uh, in person. You know, even if they're not working together physically on a regular basis, they will, they will make trips and, uh, to, to, to be able to do that. And one of the things that I have found interesting is, uh, and that for our own team that, you know, we try and do is we try to balance, um, when we're physically together, spending time doing work, because that's kind of a pleasure when you don't do it very often, but also doing things that are not related to work. Like, going for a hike or a bike ride or doing a cooking class. And and what you just described with this um, gingerbread uh, house decorating activity is is um, is similar. Wouldn't you say like it's about the humans connecting to one another so that they can draw on this reservoir when they're not physically together? Does that sound? Absolutely. Yeah. And especially especially when, for the most part, my interaction with them is remote, mm-hmm. um, you know, part of there's like a huge onus on the people participating remotely to actually show up, you know, in, in a real way. And that's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort to come and be prepared and be ready. And, you know, when you're maybe sitting in your kitchen or whatever, um, and to really show up and, and participate. So I think, you know, in throughout my career, like everything we can do, to make people feel welcome, make people have a, give people a sense of belonging and give them a sense of, help them develop a sense of camaraderie. Um, Really, it's really nice. It's nice because it makes people feel happy. And when people are happy, they're um, just more apt to be engaged and to also to feel like, you know, frankly, as leader of a team, I have to ask people to do hard stuff sometimes. And, and, you know, having them feel like I know her, she's a good egg. Mm-hmm. Like I'll do this even though it's a lot, you know, and, and really having that work both ways is really important. Mm-hmm. But before we, um, before we got on the air here, you were telling me about the uh, hopes, fears, and expectations framework that you sometimes use. Could you, can you tell the listeners about that? Yeah. So this is something, um, I've taken a bunch of courses through IDOU, which is like a really great, um, online, um, sort of certifying body and sort of design thinking related stuff. Uh-huh. And I, That's, uh, I, pa- powered by, uh, or supported by, um, IDEO, the design studio. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and 
this was something that that um, was presented as a framework in one of the classes I took, and I just totally stole it because it was really great. Um, and it's called it's called hopes, fears, and expectations. And this is something that I've tried to do sort of at the kickoff of projects, but also when getting together with new people. Um, and, um, I've done this in person with people on their laptops in a meeting room, um, with some people in the room and some people not in the room. And then I've also done this totally remotely. Um, and the goal is to really sort of hone in on, um, what really matters to people and to draw them out and to sort of try and do that in a relatively short period of time. So, um, I use the, we we're a, we generally use mostly Google tools. So I just, the easiest thing to use here was just a Google slide deck that everyone has added access to. And it just, they're just really simple slides that have, um, they look like sticky notes on them. They're just like yellow boxes. Mm -hmm. um, and we give a moment for people to fill them in, in real time. And that I set it up like this. I say it's we're talking about hopes, fears, and expectations. For hopes, what we look at is what do you want to learn here? How do you want to grow? What will success mean to you? What story do you want to be able to tell? So really getting them to think about what matters to them and and how, how they want what they want to share about that to mm -hmm. a larger group. And then we ask about fears and what are you afraid of? What might stand in your way? What keeps you up at night? And then finally, we go to expectations and we say, like, what does a supportive environment look like to you? How do we enable you to do your best work? What tools or trainings would be helpful to you to do that? Um, so we have people like you go through that um, and you just have people filling it out. Um, and then you go back and sort of revisit them and ask people to share if they want to share and, and so forth. The first time I did this, I didn't know how it was going to go. I'd sort of allowed, you know, I thought, oh, maybe this would be like 15 minutes because everyone will be uncomfortable and won't want to participate. But people were like all about it. Like we went on for a full hour, just, just like all kinds of stuff came out mm. because in part, I think, cause people, you know, felt they felt supported, they felt listened to, but mm -hmm. they were also able to share things somewhat anonymously, which mm -hmm. was deliberate. Um, and I found out all kinds of stuff that I would never have really been attuned to, um, coming in and not working super hands-on with the team, just stuff mm -hmm. like, um, you know, how important work-life balance is or how important it is to someone that they're acknowledged or recognized for mm -hmm. having done some, like some basic stuff, but it was really nice to create this forum for people to share that. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I've, I really, I really like it and I've like, um, done it many, many times now. And I think it's been, it's useful and it's also helpful to be able to share later with others to say like, hey, you need to pay attention to this kind of stuff because it's mm -hmm. not, they're not just like tactical things. They're things that really matter to people. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and and so the benefits. Is it right that the the benefits of doing this is that even when you are, uh, you know, going through this um, exercise with the people that you work with remotely, that you you are able to you know draw everyone closer to to one another um, in a way that helps the work going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And you start mm -hmm. to see trends, and everyone you know, starts nodding and saying like, Hey, I think that too. And that's a, you know, that's something that's freaking me out as well. Mm -hmm, and it, mm -hmm. like, I, I think, you know, I'm, I 
I really enjoyed very difficult conversations and sort of trying to like avert conflict by like confronting things head on and making sure we understand what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. And this this framework, for whatever reason, just enabled me to like pull back the layers on that really very quickly and get to uh, a degree of like trust and transparency with folks um, that that I wouldn't have expected. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, we um we have found in in our life as an all remote company um, and in the research that we've done on high performing teams that, you know, the culture of helpfulness and um, having colleagues that trust one another is like the the one or two things. Those are the those are the things that all high performing teams have in common, right? You can't perform at a high level consistently over a long period of time if you don't have the trust. And uh, and so it, that sounds like a great um, way to create the trust. And with a remote team, you know, all the more important, right? Because you don't get as many opportunities to have those serendipitous uh, private moments maybe where the trust is a little more easily built uh if you're working remotely and everything is scheduled that's just not a great a great way to start yeah totally completely agree so so, um tell us a little about the other tools that you use you said you use google uh so that i assume means you use google for email internally and you use uh google meet uh, for video and and Google Chat, what what other tools do you use that are important? Well, a lot of it depends on our clients. So typically, we try and work in like in the flow of the whatever tool set our clients use. So some of our clients are you know use Microsoft products and and need things to be shared on SharePoint and and use Teams a lot. Um, others also use Google. Um, for some of our projects, we communicate via Slack. So there's a lot of diff- a lot of flexibility that's required for using different sorts of tools across the board. And then, you know, visualization tools, obviously, um, we use Practica, we use Miro, um, and then for keeping track of stuff, a lot of folks like to use Trello. There's a fair amount of um, tolerance for people sort of organizing themselves the way it makes the best sense to them. But by and large, when we're communicating internally, we're using um, the Google Suite. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so we, I think we have time for probably one more question. I think it's um, a really interesting question. Um, what is your opinion on video on versus video off? Oh. And, how has, and how has that changed uh, in, the last, uh, in the last few years, if it has changed? That's a really great one. Um, I think the way we typically approach it is video on when you're talking to clients um, and in order to sort of demonstrate that you're present and that you're really paying attention to them. Um, I also like to have video on in my one-on-one conversations because I think it's a little bit, it promotes that collaboration more um, and just a sense of like being able to read someone a little more clearly. but more and more with my team meetings, we've moved to video off because people just get sort of fatigued by having to have their camera on. And because we work across multiple time zones, you know, somebody might be eating lunch or, you know, right. doing something. So um, it's a little flexible, but mostly we try to, to encourage it um, for, for our client conversations just because 
um, sort of a sign of, of respect and, and that you're like, you know, really fully engaged with the conversation. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I guess I have one follow up, which is, um, you know, now, as opposed to, say, 2017, 2018, there, there are a lot more opportunities to collaborate inside the software, right? So you mentioned a couple of pieces of software where, um, you know, it's built for pe multiple people to access at one time. And, and so you could be looking at a document altogether without sharing it in the, in the call. So my question is, do you still uh, often share a screen and look together at the same thing? Or do you rely on the fact that you know, people can access these things. Uh, so you don't, you don't have to do that. Do you do you share screens frequently? Or do you rely on the in app collaboration or the multi uh, multi user access to just make sure that people are are in there? Um, usually we share screens, um, because often like aside from sort of a presentation or a demo or something, yeah. um, often the kind of collaborative work we're doing it's a lot of people and mm -hmm. not everyone may have immediate access to their stuff. So it's one way of ensuring that everyone's actually looking at the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, people may be typing in it separately or, or whatever. I think the one exception to that is if you're having a really difficult conversation or you're having something that's a little bit sensitive, it's way more important to use that real estate to see people's faces if they're on camera than it is to to have the document open. So I think that's the that's the time when uh, not sharing sort of trumps it for me. Um, but but generally we we use it just to make sure that everyone is if we're going through like a proposal or like an estimation or something like that that we're all looking in the same spot. So you're not you don't have to give those sort of verbal cues, uh, people can just see it for themselves. Right. They can see your mouse wiggling around over top exactly. of something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Excellent. Well, Kate, thank you very much for joining us. This has been a great conversation. Do you have any, um, any final thoughts about um, how you approach, you know, remote and hybrid work that you think you'd like to be the, the last, you get the last word here? Oh, I love getting the last word. Um, I think that, um, you know, just being, I think the the biggest thing that has changed is just sort of, you know, the extent to which people expect a level of flexibility in their personal lives. And I think, you know, as we move back to hybrid, just try to not to lose that because, you know, for myself, getting a chance to pick up my kids or, you know, do those sorts of normal life things has been a real treat in working in a fully remote environment. And I think that as we move into more hybrid stuff, making sure we're still allowing people like that humanity that we all gained when we moved fully online. Yeah, I, I love that. And I, I agree with you. Um, um, and I love that you use the word humanity. I use it sometimes too, just to describe the, the, the overall, you know, complete package of things that we we want to support and invest in and su support our colleagues investing in right uh, cooking your you know your physical health your family life etc and as you said earlier you know happier more relaxed employees uh, do better work so um i think we're headed in the right direction um if we can just remind each other that those are worth investing in right even in the work context absolutely Excellent. Well, thanks again for being on today. And um, we look forward to touching base with you in the future and hearing about some updates. Thanks, Adam. Bye, everyone. 
I'm your host, Adam Riggs, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Remotely Possible, the podcast about distributed work and the people who make it possible. Remotely Possible is sponsored by Frameable, a software company with a mission of making virtual collaboration feel as easy as turning around and talking to each other. Learn more at frameable.com. To become a guest on an upcoming edition of Remotely Possible, head over to frameable.com slash podcast and introduce yourself. If you know someone who'd be a great guest, tag them on social media and let them know about the show and include the hashtag Remotely Possible. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it on your social networks and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Your likes, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and to our team. Want to know how Frameable Spaces helps Microsoft Teams and Outlook users collaborate more effectively? Visit our website, frameable.com, or follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.